Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back. We are joined in studio today by a good friend of mine, Kirk Dieter. He's He's the editor for, I think, every magazine published in the United States, and he's also written several books that we'll tell you about later on. Is that right? Almost every magazine. Almost not, every. Not, not, not <laughs> <laughs> but you are everywhere. I can't go through your resume because we only got an hour left. So yeah. I, think, I think we'll go to the phones, and Matt Ensley from Tightline Outdoors is going to join us. And this guy knows some fishing, too. I'll tell you what, he's a great source of information. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Terry. How are you this fine spring morning <laughs> and shoveling snow yeah you know <laughs> my mantra today is we went from early spring to the never-ending winter people are getting tired of me saying that but boy it just it looked like things were going to open up and we were going to be talking a lot of shore fishing and launching boats here in a week and now we're sitting there think scratching our heads going is there good enough ice to get out and should i there's where should i go and what should i do well, the ice conditions are good. Uh, normally this time of year, by mid-February, late February that we're in now, you're seeing open water in some of these lakes in the front range, but that's not the case. The late winter that we've had has uh, kept those lakes locked up and actually created some decent ice uh, on the front range. It's certainly in the mountains. I heard you guys talking about three thirty inches of ice at Jefferson. You know, that's probably the maximum, but uh, great ice conditions, 11-mile. Uh, Williams Fork and uh, and Terrell, and we're catching lots of fish. You got to work to get to them, though. Like you said, the snow's deep. Oh yeah, it's uh, we got a lot of snow in the mountains. A little tougher to get to, and and we don't know how long the ice will last year. By the way, the northern front range, the ice isn't nearly as good as it is down here in the southern front range. In fact, Saint Vrain Ponds, part of them are wide open. Uh, Boyd Lake has a huge open water area, so you're confined to some small areas by the marina. What are you seeing in this part of the Front Range? It's interesting you mentioned the the open water because a lot of the smaller bodies of water, particularly north of town and along the Platte River, are open water this time of year. The sun warms them up from the uh, north side of the, the bank on those smaller bodies of water, and that ice just comes off very quickly. But, yeah, the, there's smallmouth and largemouth in all of those ponds along the Platte River, starting at Chatfield all the way north of town. And the northern bodies of water will uh, uh, warm up and heat up first, and you'll see open water there and on the north side of most of our Front Range lakes. In fact, Oral Reservoir had open water along the northern the dam uh, is the sun facing the sun on the north side of that lake, and it's already got open water on it. So if you're going to go ice fishing, just be careful on those bodies of water. Stay, stay uh, in safe pockets and coves and, you know, closer to the bank area. Well, certainly, they are thawing, and they will thaw very quickly. Well, and I think a good tip this time of the year is, you know, don't be fooled by thickness of ice. If you don't understand how to judge the quality of the ice, probably you should go up in the mountains or do something else because it's going to change. It will change while you are on the lake this time of the year. And you've got to be so careful. Sometimes you can get out and you can't get off the lake. I've seen that happen. So be very careful. Um, but my, my one saying is that there's no such thing as safe ice, but ice fishing is extremely safe if you just use common sense. Absolutely. You've got to be able to read the ice a bit this time of year. Uh, the ice thaws from actually underneath. The water actually 
melts into the ice from the bottom up, and it's tough to see that from the surface. So, you know, drill some test holes as you go, and if it fractures like a windshield on a car, get off. It's about to go. It's going to melt, melt any day now. Let's talk about a couple places. You mentioned Aurora. If there is still good ice, and you can fill me out over on the on the coves, I heard there was some pretty good ice, and I heard they were doing extremely well with the perch. They have. Aurora is the jumbo perch lake in the front range right now. They've been putting out nice uh, 10 to 12-inch perch now for quite a few years. They've, they've slowed down a while. They, some of those big fish uh, uh, died out, but uh, they're back. And you can catch, you know, uh, 10 to 20 uh, jumbo perch using uh, little tiny ice jigs uh, or little uh, plastic um, jigs. Or live bait. I like to tip the hook with a piece of shrimp or even a, a tiny piece of a, a, a worm, a live worm, blood worm or a, um, a nightcrawler itself. But the shrimp this time of year, they, they just won't leave it alone. They'll clean you, your hook off several times before you hook them, particularly for the small ones. But I would do that and get down near the bottom and come just up and move it and constantly raise it and then go back down and, and work them over. Well, I tell you what, the, the the good Lord did a disservice to perch and walleyes and some of those by making them taste so good. You take take ten of those jumbo perch home and flay these little fish stick like things, and you know you need to do some to maybe not the healthiest, but a little bit of hot oil, and oh my God, is that good? <laughs> I like them better than walleye, believe that or not. Oh, they're they're so good, you know. Very good. And I'll take so, yes, a. They're excellent. And I'll give you a tip. A, a glass of bubbly wine, sparkling wine, cuts through the fat a little bit, and it's perfect with them. So, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> so, Next hey, um, speaking of walleyes, what's, I, are the chat, I heard the walleyes were still going at Chatfield. Is that the case? Yeah. So we've been catching smallmouth uh, and walleye at uh, Chatfield Reservoir. The walleye are pre-spawn. As soon as that uh, ice comes off, they're going to be you know, coming right up on the rocks on the uh, dam at Chatfield and in the shallow uh, bay areas where they uh, go through a, a false spawn. Some of them are already migrating up the Platte River, trying to go up that running water. And so you'll find them in the very back of Chatfield, along the edge of the river channel itself, on those uh, gravel pits, the edges of the gravel pits. You can catch quite a few right now through the ice. And that ice will stay fairly decent in the back back there because it's shallower water. How long do you do think? I'm, I I know we don't know because we've got about two, three more days of cold weather, and then it's supposed to get fairly warm for a week. How long do you think we have down on lakes like Chatfield before it just gets where it isn't worth the risk? You know, I have seldom seen it go past the second week of March uh, with decent ice. You got I mean, there are people that will still get out on some of those sheets back there in the back of uh, Chatfield, but Second week of March would be my guess. Uh, be very careful after that. Um, uh, it really depends. We've got some fifty degree, almost sixty degree weather coming in three days. Yeah, that's so, it's going to get fairly warm, so you want to really be careful. But you know, the mountains are going to be around for a while yet. We got a good solid month or more. I heard the pike may be starting their spawn under the ice at eleven miles. Is that what you're hearing? They're free spawn. They're not actually in spawn, but they're close. And the, the pike are shallow. Both pike and trout in our mountain reservoirs uh, will stay somewhat shallower than you would anticipate uh, through the winter, simply because of the grass beds that we have in those bodies of water. Eleven Mile has a lot of grass, so does uh, Spinney and Antero, and they'll relate to the edges of the outside edges of the grass right now in a pre-spawn mode. 
and then they will migrate into the coves and the pockets uh, as the ice comes off, and you'll catch them, you know, two to four feet of water um, here as soon as that ice comes off. Yeah, I hear. I, I think a lot. A lot of people. I'm sorry. No, it's all right. Go ahead. I'm I sorry. said a lot of people fish too deep for trout and pike this time of the year. Depends on the oxygen levels. You know, if you got a, a a very barren lake that's not very fertile, the trout might be deeper because you might be lacking some oxygen in the upper uh, by the shoreline or if you got decaying weeds. But, you know, depth is really the key to finding them. Speaking of depth, I understand you're picking up some kokanee and they're a little deeper. Well, they're they're suspended shallower, but they're over deep water, 70 to 80 feet at 11 mile, and they're down about 20 to 30 feet over that depth of water. And, yes, we're catching numbers of coconut right now at 11 mile. Uh, any size? Uh, you know, they range from 10 to 14 inches. Someone in the neighborhood. You know, they're not the bigger They're not giants, but boy, that's another fish that's good for the pan. Mm-hmm. I got Absolutely. I got Kirk Dieter here <laughs> shaking his head. That's you know, Kirk, coming from Trout Magazine, right? And uh, people understand that fly fishing preaches a lot of catch and release. Right. Um, we try to preach selective harvest. Right. That you, you know. Protect fisheries where they need protection, but then when you're in the right fishery, like some of these perch, maybe a few put-and-take stock trout or these kokanee, that you should harvest some. It's part of the experience. Oh, absolutely. And and as you're talking, all I did was get hungry. <laughs> I'm ready for perch, some kokanee, yeah. on fish sticks. I'm going to make a dash right to the deep fryer as soon as I get out of here. Yeah, it, it is amazing. So, so Matt... With uh, warm weather coming, we're going to see the the ice recede from some of the lakes on the Front Range. Maybe not enough to open boat ramps, but we are going to see some open water. And I've been I've been professing this entire year that because of the on and off again ice on the Front Range, a lot of bodies of water didn't get anywhere near the pressure they normally do. And they're usually heavily stocked in the fall to accommodate that ice fishing pressure. So I think people that just want to go out and catch a few trout in some of our front range, small lakes especially, but even the larger ones as the ice recedes, I think as soon as there's enough water away from the shore where you can make a cast, I think they're going to be some incredible trout fishing. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Right off the dams, those would be the first areas the water pulls back from just because it heats up faster. Um, there's rocks on a lot of our dams, and those rocks absorb the heat, and that ice will pull right back away. So you can get right on those dams and fish for the trout. You know, what I like to do is kind of do a combo thing because the walleye are pre-spawn along those same areas. And uh, I'll throw a jerk bait, small jerk bait, and catch uh, some really nice trout on it. And at the same time, you can you have a shot at getting into some of those pre-spawn walleye. Well, you know, when you throw that jerk bait and you're – catching walleye and trout, people sometimes hesitate. They think that jerkbait is big. But I'll tell you what, you go to some of these mountain lakes even and throw a 3-4 inch jerkbait, and you'll be amazed at the size trout that will just attack that. We have some of the best trout fishing in the continental United States for for trout. And I'm I'm not speaking of stocker-sized trout. I'm talking 4- to 7-pound trout Mm -hmm. uh, in some of our mountain lakes, and they will annihilate bass tackle. I mean, that's what I use now on my guide trips. Uh, bass tackle and bass kind of baits, jerk baits, uh, 
you know, two baits, things like that. Everyone thinks that trout are so dainty and, and sipping little flies and so on and so forth until you get the big boys out on the lake and, and throw jerk baits and things at like that. Well, tell them, uh, uh, Kirk just got back from Tasmania. Tell them what those browns were eating. Yeah, they were, they were cruising around in, sm- in ponds and they were smashing frogs. They were, they were plowing into the weeds to knock frogs off the grasses and eating frogs. It's like, okay. That's right. I mean, you know, a five, six pound fish is not going to eat it. I mean, they will eat bugs if that's all they, sure. that they have available. But uh, your best bet is to throw something large like that. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you both a secret one you might not have heard of that's effective right here in Colorado. The Yampa River tailwater below stagecoach. Take a small mouse like you would up in Alaska. Not the big three-inch mouse, but maybe a two-inch mouse. And this time of the year... You got to walk in two miles, but rip that around that tailwater, and if it will get destroyed, mm-hmm. and, and people don't realize that. So, Matt, before we let you go, um, assuming the weather predictions are right, give me one ice fishing destination and one hopeful open water destination you might be fishing by the end of the week. Sure. So, right now, due to the fresh snow that we've received, I would say Wellington Lake. Uh, because you can drive right up to the edge of the lake and walk 20 feet out and you're fishing. You don't have to travel through deep snow like you will in 11 Mile or in Terrell right now. So that lake is, is fishing quite well, and you have easy access with the recent snow that we've had. Uh, here in the Front Range, I would say the ponds below and along the Platte River, uh, below Chatfield, those ponds go through a small, and I say small because there are some giant smallmouth in those ponds, and uh, you'll catch some of those big four- to six-pound smallmouth on a small bass jig, um, downsize, you know, three-sixteenths, even a sixteenth-ounce jig, drag it along the bottom, and don't forget the jerk baits here on the front range in that open water. Always, always a good, uh, a good, a good choice. Matt, people want to book a trip with you guys. How do they get a hold of you? Give us a call at 720-775-7770. And, of course, it's Tightline Outdoors on both Facebook and on online. Thank you, my friend. As always, you're a wealth of information. Thanks, Terry. You bet. Matt Ensley from Tightline Outdoors. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Thank you, my friend. I asked for a couple of Bob Dylan songs because of the memories it brings back. I mean, yeah, I mean, he lived three blocks from me. That's little town. We were about 15,000 people. I could shoot grouse out my back door, and I could go fishing out my front door. So, I mean, it was uh, pretty blessed that I grew up where I did. No no doubt. Well, I take that back. Karen says I got older there. I never grew up. (laughs) We're, We're joined in studio today by Kirk Dieter. Uh, from Field and Stream and Trout Magazine. Kirk, you have a special special guest that you want to talk to because you're involved in uh, uh, something new. Uh, tell us who's on the line and uh, tell us what's going on. Well, I've got my friend uh, Dale Parker from Jackson Creek Kennel who's joining us. And, and the reason being is that I got a dog a year and a half ago, and I know I've always hunted my whole life. I've had Springers, Labs, um, I had a Vizsla. And I, you know, we're trying to check off all the boxes and, and looking for this perfect breed for the next phase of what we wanted to do and chanced upon the Poodle Pointer, P-U-D-E-L Pointer. And Dale 
is one of the preeminent breeders in the country, and this dog is the hot breed, I think, right now. And so, Dale, how you doing? I'm doing well, Kurt. Thanks for having me. Well, tell you know when we first thought about poodle pointers, people think it's a, like the, one of these designer mixes, and it's not so at all. Could you tell people a little bit more about what a poodle pointer is and what makes them special? Yeah, yeah, we we get that a lot. I, I almost wish they'd have named it something else, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but they didn't. So anyway, we got to live with it. Um, yeah, the poodle pointer has been around really over a hundred years. In the 1890s, uh, some German aristocracy decided to try to come up with the perfect, most versatile dog, and. Um, you got the short hair and a German long hair and a drop hour and a poodle pointer and several other breeds. And the guy that did the poodle pointer, he took the standard hunting poodle of the day <clears throat> before it got French for the show ring and uh, bred it to a stellar English pointer and then brought more pointer back in into later generations to up the prey drive and with very selective breeding, and we're still doing very selective breeding today. Well, that's, you've got what you have now. That's right. You raised a really important point, and and that's really why I wanted to talk to you, Dale, because not all poodle pointers are the same. And it's you know, I've heard it's a mm. you can get the best of the best. I, my dog Maya that um, I got from you is not only the smartest dog, but also the sweetest dog that I've ever had, and she's got the strongest prey drive of any dog I've ever had. I couldn't have imagined a mix like that. But you spend a lot of time really focusing on your breeding program and doing it the right way and also on making sure the dogs end in places where they actually go hunting. Well, that that all those points you just said really cover my program. Um the, the popularity of the breed, uh, it may not be, you know, a uh, household name, but it is getting pretty popular. Um, the reason it is is because they have a switch that's off in the house and on in the field. And that's, that sounds like the, maybe what everybody wants to hear, but it is truly the truth. I've never seen anything like it. I agree with um, that. And, and and they're hypoallergenic. They're the kind that don't shed. You know, I've had labs that you could knit a sweater with, what they left on the... Man, have I had those. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, just um, sweet personality. What I tend to tell everybody is uh, a, a poodle pointer will shed in a year about what a lab does in a day. Yeah. Uh, you know, Dale, a lot of people don't realize that poodles originally were bred as hunting dogs, just the poodle itself. And it's a lot of people don't realize that a lot of that haircut came from so they wouldn't get all tangled in the brush and stuff. Right, right. Exactly. They had they had a very strong retrieve um, gene, and so that's what they worked off of. And they were m more or less a waterfowl or uh, a water working dog back in the day. Maya, my dog now is, I'd say we do mostly upland, and uh, but she can also switch over. That's another thing that I like about this breed is we can ride in the drift boat and we can jump shoot ducks and she's more than happy to go and pick them up for me. Um, is it? Do you find with your program, Dale, that more people are interested in the upland or the waterfowl or is it pretty much split down the middle? 
I'd have to say it's pretty much split down the middle. Um, I get a call or an email for puppies about two to three times a week. It's gone down this year from every day. Right. Um, and they, uh, and I require them to send me an email kind of telling uh, me what this dog's life is going to be like and what they primarily like to hunt. And uh, I'd say it's split about 50, 50. Um, the Eastern coast is more waterfowl. Right now. Let's dive into that. It's it's important to you as breeder that these dogs end up in places where they hunt, and um, and that we train them. And in fact, when I started working with you and and training, and I've also done some training with Dennis Vannon from uh, who's out at Kiowa Creek out here. And in fact, I'm going with Dennis tomorrow, um, and he's with Team Gun Dogs. And uh, really, it's a it's a takes a village to get a dog to where she needs to be. Um, but it started with um, the breeding and, and the, the the type of dog that we had. And Dale, of Maya's, which is my dog's name, of Maya's litter, tell them about what the performance was on the North American Versatile Hunting Dog um, trials that we did last summer. You, you had an extraordinary Breeders Award that you earned for that. Yeah, boy, you... Really, I hate talking about that. Yeah, twist my arm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at Maya's brother right now, Woodrow. Um, I brought him along with me here for inspiration. But so in the uh, uh, NAVDA, North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association, that's the organization that we use to test our dogs. Um, they run the tests. And my standards are every dog will have passed a hunt test at a certain females at a certain score. Males have to do an elevated test. Um, all hips will be uh, x-rayed and you'll have, a, have to have a certificate before any of these dogs would be allowed to breed. Uh, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I just want to touch on the group I'm with. Uh, we we wanted to more than discourage the backyard breeder, but eliminate it. Right. Um, by keeping the beard the breed pure uh, and clean, eliminate the health defects and no show ring, all hunt. Um, that's our goal. But back to my um, my super litter. <laughs> uh, so. Any four puppies of a litter have to be tested in the natural ability test uh, to get a breeder's award. And you have to average 90 points out of 112 to get that award. Um, and, well, that, that's all well and good. I, I, I would certainly jump right up and accept that award. But, honestly, 90 points is not uh, unattainable. It's, it's not that tough. Well, short, um, long story short, you had three that scored perfect, didn't you? One twelve out of the same litter. Uh, I had two one twelves, one one ten, and one one six. You had a slacker there, huh? <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. An average of one ten per puppy out of one twelve. Dale, so, Dale, we're running out of time here, but if people wanted more information, how would they get a hold of you? Well, I have a website, jacksoncreekkennel.com, uh, or I could give you my phone number here. Go ahead uh, if you'd like. 
Sure. 719-661-2020. That's 719-661-2020. One last question, but it's got to be a real quick answer. One of the things sure. Kirk told me is because of the way the dog is in the house, it was really easy to convince his wife. Is that what you find with this breed? Yeah, yeah. That's a great selling point when the guy... When the guy wants his hunting dog that don't shed, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dale, thank you so much. I'm sure we could talk for hours on this. We'll get you back on. We'll go into it some more. Thanks, Dale. Okay, thank you. And that's Dale from, uh, what was the name of Jackson the? Creek Jackson Channel, Creek. Down in Peyton, Colorado. All right, very good. Hey, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. He listened when I told him I wanted some Bob Dylan. Positively. Robert Zimmerman, my old neighbor. Positively forced All right. Let's go right to the phones, because I always make JR wait for the Eagles. I better not make him wait for Bob Dylan. Joining us from Colorado Clays is Mr. J.R. Pierce. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Terry. And I can sing Bob Dylan just as well, you know. Yeah, he, he's told me the reason that I like the Eagles is because I've never heard him sing. I will believe that you could sing Dylan as well as you can sing the Eagles, and I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> good call. <laughs> now, there is one thing I know you're pretty good at, and that's getting people out shooting. You have a great facility. we got Kirk Dieter in here with us. Why don't you tell him what you got out there? Yeah, please. Well, good morning, Kirk. Good morning. Uh, so, guys, I've said this a million times, and we all know this, but in case somebody doesn't, uh, Colorado Clays, we are Colorado's premier public shooting facility. Uh, we offer the very finest in rifle, pistol, trap, skeet, and sporting clay shooting opportunities. Those are available to all of our customers, and we do it on a year-round basis. Um, when you come to Colorado Clays, you'll find that we have a very user-friendly, uh, handicap-accessible, well-maintained, state-of-the-art facility, which is, of course, staffed by the finest and friendliest people in the industry. Uh, when you arrive, you have a lot of shooting options, including uh, our seven trap fields capable of throwing regulation ATA targets, whether it's singles or doubles, and more, of course. We've talked about that last time, Terry. Uh, a training trap dedicated just for beginners, lessons, fine-tuning of guns, and the like. Uh, two skeet fields, which will throw NSSA regulation targets, and with a random delay option for international skeet practice. So, you know, be sure to ask for that if that interests you. Uh, we have two wobble traps on the skeet fields, which are our number one practice for the upland bird hunters. And, of course, our 15-station sporting clays course that winds through a beautiful Cottonwood Creek bottom. And if it's rifles and pistols you're after, we have an amazing range with 10 bays of rifle uh, and 10 bays of pistol, both that uh, have radiant heat for days like this, we can still get some shooting done. Our pistol range has a target return system in each bay, and that's offering practice from 1 to 25 yards with a simple push of a switch. So very convenient and user-friendly. Our rifle bays, they both, are, all 10 have a monitor uh, in them, and that shows you your target downrange. Uh, got a camera right on the target, so you can sight in in real time with no spotting equipment, um, very, very handy for the rifle shooters. And it was truly something for everyone at Colorado Clays. You know what the problem is, Jr. Go, Terry. Well, that, that camera is right on the target. It never tells me where I hit. 
(laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) I need a bigger target for you, Terry. Well, you know. Zoom lens. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll tell you, Kirk. uh, JR thinks that he can even get it where I can hit a dove. No. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Yeah, Terry, we do have intermediate closer targets. That's what I was talking about. (laughs) No, you really do have have something for everybody in any kind of practice. And and all kidding aside, and both you guys, my mantra about firearms is always uh, don't get ready, be ready. Because the guy that takes his shotgun or his rifle out two weeks before the season is never going to be as successful. And we talk about, you know, the fit of your gun and practicing in your hunting clothes and all those kind of things, JR. And there's just so much that you can't bypass that practice and be comfortable. You know, another thing you guys do out there that I really I really love having you guys as a partner is you do a lot of fundraisers for charities and things. But I think a lot of people, they'll say, oh, they're having the, the 4-H kids out there for their fundraiser this week. I guess I can't go shoot, but that's not the case, is it? Well, and thank you for bringing that up, Terry, because you bring up a point that I think, uh, whether it's our regular customers or new ones, might want to know. So, of course, you know, there's something for everyone at Colorado Clay Shooting Park. We've discussed that. Um, And there's still so much more because, as you know, um, Colorado Clay is the best place to bring a group, Um, and whether it's a, a, a large or small one for a shooting outing. So whether it's, uh, you know, simply a friends and family day, possibly a church event or kids event, like you talked about, 4-H or Boy Scouts, uh, we do bachelor and bachelorette parties, weddings and such. But really our specialty is uh, very small to very large corporate or fundraising events. So specifically to the point you brought up, I think it may be of interest Um, for everyone to know that by simply going to our website or maybe give us a call, you can find the dates of many of these events and actually register to participate in them. And what's so great about these types of events is that you not only get to enjoy the sport you love, but in a slightly different atmosphere because uh, you get to compete with your friends and fellow participants, which adds an element of enjoyment to pretty much any shooting. Um, Most of these events include either a breakfast, a lunch, or both, lots of door prizes, and truly the best part of the whole thing is um, you're going to be supporting any number of great charitable causes, and uh, that just adds an element of satisfaction to the whole thing. So really good point, Terry. No, it really is, and you know, a lot of the groups that use you guys for fundraisers are are a lot of the most important groups that, you know, both Kirk and I, we talk about youth groups, we talk about the affinity groups, and and then there's just so many charities. And you know what, you pay a little bit, maybe just a little extra to be in one of these competitions, and you get a little friendly camaraderie. Of course, no one could have the unique close relationship you and I have, but some people actually will get along out there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And uh, if it uh, makes it any better, I don't sing at the charity events. (laughs) Do do you have to pay extra for that? (laughs) I I generally will take donations to not sing. There you go. That's what I mean. (laughs) So you got any events coming up shortly or where are we at? Well, you know what, Terry? Uh, CU Shooting Sports, uh, our uh, college team, has an invitational today. So my amazing crew and I were here at 7 o'clock plowing snow. Those kids um, are hardcore. They love their sport. 
And right now, as we speak, um, they are out there shooting uh, 25,000 targets in the next day and a half um, for this event. So that one's going on right now. Of course, we still have the rest of the range open. Uh, everybody would be welcome to come out and see that. And I'll tell you, it is fun watching these kids shoot, Terry, because they are amazing. Our calendar is just loaded this year with um, just great fundraisers for great causes. And I welcome anybody to go to the website or give us a call, and uh, we can probably find something that anybody would love to donate to and be part of. And that website is coloradoclays.com. That is correct. Uh, And our phone number is 303 Six five nine seven one one seven. And the last thing I'll warn people is: do not talk fishing with Jr. Or you will get pictures in your text almost daily. No. <laughs> Good call, Terry. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of disappointed that I didn't get to display my ice fishing prowess to you there last time. But uh, have you ever ice fished in your life? What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jr. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Terry. Have a great day. J.R. Pierce from Colorado Clays. They're just great people out there. I don't know if you've ever ever shot there. They're only, you know, up by, they're right by Bar Lake. I'm on my way. That sounds amazing. Oh, you know, all the options you have there. Oh, and they're just spot. such great people. I mean, yeah. this makes, and you know what? It's non-members. If you just want to go out and check it out, you yeah. drive out there, you can walk around, you can go in, they have a clubhouse and, and the whole thing. They even have rental guns and the whole deal. So. And it really gets me in my heart to, to hear all the causes that they tie with. And that's really the root of all this, right? Oh, it really it, is. It makes, it makes it so so much better. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, Kirk and I are going to um, finish up the show on a couple subjects near and dear to our heart on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. There we go. Take it to the limit. I never get tired of this music. No. My listeners probably do. They probably like to listen to more outdoors. <laughs> You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, by the way, and we have I have in studio with me Kirk Dieter. And I'm not going to go through your resume. I've mentioned it many times. You're an editor for Trout Magazine. You're an editor for Field and Stream. But you're an author. I want to touch on that. And yeah. you've written some fantastic books Thank you. on fly fishing. And the reason I think they're fantastic is because you address fly fishing from everybody's point of view. You help everybody become a better fly fisherman. Tell us about some of the books and what's coming up. Well, we did a book uh, a couple of years ago called Trout Tips that involved all of the tips that we brought in from Trout Unlimited members from around the country. And Trout Magazine, as you know, is the national publication of Trout Unlimited. I'm really a, the vice president of Trout Media for Trout Unlimited. And uh, so that was great. Grassroots got a lot of input there. My, my, I got to tell you, the soft spot in my heart, my favorite book that I've ever written is the one that I partnered with our friend Charlie Myers on called The Little Red Book of Fly Fishing. And that's uh, been very, very successful over the years. Uh, it came out in 2010, and I just signed up with the publisher to do the sequel 10 years after in 2020. It's going to be The Little Black Book of Fly Fishing. Uh, think of Black Diamond and a little bit more expert tips, but The Little Black Book is where I keep all my little secrets, too. So <laughs> all right, should be up, up one level from anything we've done before, and that's in production right now. Well, tell people... What if they bought the the little red book is still available? Oh yeah. Tell people kind of what they would get out of that book, and then what the next level will entail. Well, the little red book, Charlie and I, we were, he was obviously with the Denver Post, and I was with Field and Stream, and, and we 
we just kind of cracked open our notebooks and said, we're going to shoot straight, uh, shoot from the hip. It's not not rocket science. It doesn't have to be rocket science. These these don't have to be full-on physics lessons that last pages and pages. So that's one paragraph or two paragraphs on 250 thoughts or tips um, that we had gleaned over the years of our travels and so on and so forth. And we divided it into casting and reading water and all the elements that, you know, and it, it just is a small $16 book that's, you know, can fit in your pocket or in your boat. And it's done well. It's a little engine that could. It, it every, you know, it's, I'm surprised. I think that it's about done and it still keeps going. We've sold over 85,000 copies of that book. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. And that, you know, I, I've got a copy, obviously. And it, it, it's the kind of book that you don't necessarily have to read cover to cover. You pick it up and just open it to a page yeah. or open it to a subject if you want. And, you know, and for me, if it's something that I need improvement, I can open it to any page. But, you know, <laughs> but but there's just good common sense tips to make you a better angler. Or Yeah. And, and or reminders. There are things right. that we forget. You know, slap your forehead stuff like and 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 I, I unfortunately don't have Charlie to partner with on this uh, this version of it. But since that book came out ten years ago, I've been down a path where I've seen more of the world and traveled and done more uh, stuff with uh, stories for Field and Stream and Trout Magazine and so forth. And so I've been keeping in another notebook, and it's the amped up version of deeper dive tips that we're going to go into for the next little black book. Tell me, give me a, a little a little teaser that some kind of a tip I might see in the little black book. Oh, geez. Well, like the little red book, the, the best casting tip that we had in the little red, red book was to keep your thumb and your peripheral vision at all times as you cast because that solves all the problems uh, of, of breaking your wrist because you lose that if you can't see your thumb or going back too far, which a lot of people make on their, on their cast. Um, and the little black book would talk a little bit more about the – you know the delivery of the fly at the end, and 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 having the plane a little bit higher off the water. But you know, I'm coming up with the the tip. The the trick with writing a book like this is not to come up with the fodder. It's how to make it accessible and easily understood. Like that little thumb in your peripheral vision. You say that, and people say, "Oh, the light bulb goes on." Yeah, I can remember that. And so we're going to try to do that 250 times. What do you? What can you do to keep me from overpowering my forward stroke? <laughs> uh, let, let Karen cast for you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you're also you're also, as we mentioned, the editor of Trout Magazine, which yep. is the official magazine of Trout Unlimited. Um, Gunny, we talked earlier. You got that. Tasmanian story coming up with those brown trout yep. Anything, and a couple other interesting things. Yeah, we're working on an issue now uh, that's fun to be editor because I get to conduct the orchestra, so to speak. And it, this is focused on great waters. Um, and it, it's not like a list of the best waters. It's you know, not formulaic, but we're, we're paying homage to some really cool rivers around the country. And it's mostly beautiful pictures and talking about what makes these places special and small touch point footnotes as to how TU has helped to make those places what they are today. And uh, it's been a real fun package to work on. Of course, we've got John Girak in every issue and, and the, the essay work that we're doing now, I think is better than we've ever done. So we're happy. You know, you mentioned it's the official magazine of Trout Unlimited. Right. And you and I were talking before we went on the air today about affinity groups and how important they are probably more important than other any other time because of the politics involved in the outdoors, because of the things that are threatening our resources and our access to those resources. 
And I try to encourage everybody to belong to one or two affinity groups. Now, I cover everything from duck hunting to upland game hunting to big game hunting right. to trout to walleye to bass to muskies. And I I can't afford to belong to all 100 groups that right? I cover, right? But I want to donate and I want to belong and I want my voice to be part of the conversation. So what I personally do, I just rejoined Trout Unlimited, Thank I told you. you. and. Part of that's because I want the magazine, Good. you know, and I and, and and that's important to me, but also because I want to support the different organizations. Now we try to support them through this show, yeah, but we don't uh, we don't always get to uh, um we don't always get to have everybody on. In fact, remind me before we go that I have there's a couple of banquets coming up I want to tell people about, but tell me. How do you approach that? You're an editor for two major magazines. Yeah. Well, I, I I I came back to do Trout Unlimited and Trout Magazine because that's where I started. So it's a coming home for me. And the older I've gotten and the more I've fished and the more experiences I've enjoyed, the more I realize that that doesn't happen without some conservation ethic and I want to put back. And Trout Unlimited is unique in that we, we – plow 87% of the $55 million that we raise every year to uh, programs themselves. And we've got boots in the water and we're actually fixing the river. So that's one that's near and dear to me. Um, Ducks Unlimited, near and dear to me. Pheasants Forever, near and dear. I just kind of go by the ones that I do the most the previous year. And I look at it like buying my license in reverse. You buy your your license from the state to allow you to go hunting or fishing, and at the end of the day, at the end of the year, after your seasons are over, maybe you think about reflect on what you've done and enjoyed, and maybe that's your license uh, of appreciation is joining some of these affinity groups for thirty, thirty-five bucks or whatever. Well, and I think that I need to give money back, and I need to give pay things forward. I've been so blessed. To enjoy the, well, you and I both, the lifestyle we've got to enjoy, the places we've been. There was a 10-year period where I probably traveled from the Arctic Circle to the equator every year. Yeah. Chasing fish. Yeah. You know, and and, and it, sure, there's work involved when you're producing a television show or writing for a magazine or whatever you're doing, but my God, we're doing it in the most beautiful places I know. in I, the world. I, 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 was just, I, I was talking about fishing in Tasmania, and there I am. And it's snowflake caddis. It's like snowing over a field of flowers, but it's these wild bugs, and a wallaby jumps over the creek, and I just kind of drop my rod to the side and look to the sky, and I say, how in the world did I get here? You know, as a little boy who started fishing in Wisconsin, yeah. to here I am on the other side of the world catching fish and getting paid to do it. Yeah, um, But it all starts with... The fact that the fish are there in the first place. Obviously. I want to put in a quick reminder because I didn't get to talk about it much. While we're talking about affinity groups, the South Metro chapter of Pheasants Forever is having a banquet in a couple weeks. Perfect. That's a big growing banquet. We're going to have all the information next week. They're going to come on and tell us about it. But don't feel, you know, go to their website right now. Find out about it. And the Walleye Club is having their banquets and their events in a couple weeks. Brad Peterson will come on next week and give us all the particulars of those. If you're into either one of those, you want to pay attention and you want to join us next week for all the details, or go to their websites this week. Don't wait. Get signed up. Support these groups. Pick two or three of the affinity groups that, as Kirk said, really fit what you love to do in the outdoors and take care of them. Um, we're going to wrap things up. Kirk, thanks for being with us today. It was an honor. We Thank got you. we got some guys coming in that, as well as we know fishing, they know football. Perfect. And they're gonna they're gonna tell you all about it, and they're gonna tell us whether um, uh, 
whether our new quarterback is the a, a band aid or whether he's going to take us oh, to the, the band aid. Yeah, what do what do you think? Well, he's old, so he has to be temporary. Hey, in I'm some old, sense. and I don't want to be. Temporary. You could play. You could play quarterback. I did in college. Did you really? Where did really you play quarterback smart. at? It was small school in northern Minnesota. Still cool. You got to play. Yeah. Well, if I didn't go to a small school, the schools, <laughs> the schools I could have gone to, I couldn't get in the game with a ticket. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh but, man. So John and Orlando are coming up. We're going to wrap things up. Tune in. Every every Saturday from 9 to 11 for Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in sports on 104.3 The Fan. Thank you.